the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 205 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This, if you don't know, is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie films to studio films and everything in between about how to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to... Screw it up. Yep, that'll do. In our very, very humble opinion, uh, I'm Giles Alderson, I'm a writer, director and producer and my co-host today is the fantastic Dom Lenoir. How you doing, buddy? Very good, very good, yeah. Very good. Today on the show, we have the brilliant talent, the fantastic writer-director that is Gerard Johnson. Uh, Gerard Johnson has... Uh, directed the movies Tony, it's a fantastic serial killer drama, uh, the movie Hyena starring Stephen Graham, and recently released Muscle. It is an absolute brilliant movie. Myself and Dom sat down with Gerard about working with swingers in his film. Uh, Dom, what did you learn from this week's uh, episode? His distinctive shooting style is one of the, the key things. There's, there's elements of social realism, there's elements of art house. Uh, especially in his latest movie. His workshopping with actors was really exciting um, and, and like, the importance of that to, to get those kind of performances. And, and also, I think, his collaboration with his DOP and, and how he uses depth of field um, to create a mood in his movie. Absolutely. He also tells us why filmmaking is like going into battle, um, how he managed to finance his movies through France. You'll find out more about that. And why he decided to shoot Muscle in two blocks he also gives you so much amazing advice it is absolutely brilliant i really enjoyed chatting to jared it was a really good laugh as well as so much information and knowledge for you guys to go out there and make your own films because that's what this is about you learning to go make your films and me and don get to learn at the same time win-win um and if you do like this which of course you do then go tell your pals but more than that go to our itunes page and give us a lovely five-star review just to say thank you for being giles and don it's a thankless task for you <laughs> talking of which how are you buddy editing the behind the scenes for the stranger in our bed yeah so in november i had the the pleasure of watching you on, on set which was, must have been interesting because often we don't get to watch other directors work right you got to see me work I'll give you this. You're you're surprisingly competent. <laughs> you gave a you gave a very good um, a very good account of yourself as, as someone who knew what you were doing. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what I did. It was a great performance. Was a good account. Who knew what they were doing? Yeah, I performed well. It's my acting training from back in the day. You know, it, it was great to be back on the set. And you know, every 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 film you you work on in any capacity, you meet some great people. You learn so much about different processes. You know, it, it was interesting to see your you know your kind of work, which which. You you know, I think is a mix of quite sort of technical walkthroughs and working with the actors. It's been a long, long editing process, but that's that's kind of you know, sort of drawing to a close now, and I'm I'm back into back into writing mode and and developing. Um, so I'm about to sort of throw myself back into that again. It was really good to see your edit actually of the behind the scenes because normally you know and it was long and, and I love that because you got to see so much about what I'd done and I'm actually going through the edit right now. I'm actually editing not yours the actual movie. So it's kind of weird to see the behind the scenes of us lot doing what we were doing and the amazing talents we had there and seeing it all on camera so I really appreciate you doing that I thought it was really well done um, but yeah it's really nice to watch something like that normally it's years and years later you watch you know the behind the scenes normally for me anyway uh, or you don't see it at all so I, I really appreciate that but yeah I, it's great now that you're getting back to writing though I'm excited to see what you're doing next I can't wait after Winter Ridge and the success there that you had with your 
third directed feature um, and yeah I'm about what's next for you and that's that's an exciting time again thank you all so much for your love uh, on the dare movie which obviously you can watch now on Amazon Prime so if you're in the UK right now you can go watch that obviously it's available all around the world as well uh, so especially if you're in America go check it out and support the horror collective because they're ace uh, that's the dare my movie go watch it go support wherever you are let's get to it to today's episode of the filmmakers podcast with the fantastic director gerard johnson dom and myself sit back relax and enjoy this week's episode hey how you doing, how you doing? i'm in a little vocal booth here so um looks like something from a david lynch nightmare <laughs> It was, it was perfect. Uh, this is Dom Lenoir. He's a fellow Hello. director, producer, screenwriter as well. Good to meet you. Hey, how are you doing? This booth has been a fantastic sanctuary over lockdown. I also use it for um, writing. I like going to hotels. I, I find working in that sort of environment helps for some reason. That's fascinating. How, do you like to go to just a lobby or a, a place on your own to write? Since I've had children, it's really difficult to write at home. Um, especially lockdown, there's nowhere to, to write really peacefully. So I was going with my noise cancelling headphones to a little hotel bar. I find them quite inspiring, actually. That's interesting because I get distracted there. See, I, I write with music as well, which is some people can't, other people love it. So I totally get into that world. That's fascinating because I like, Dom, tell us about yours in a sec. I like to sit in a place where I know everything is. So if I went to the library or to, to a, a hotel, I'd be like, oh, there's a, my, one of my notepads has some other information on it. That's in my room. Oh, there's something. Do you know what I mean? Or I, I feel like once I've got my place, I know where, even if I'm not using any of that stuff, I know it's there and it makes me concentrate. I love the fact that you can go from room to room or place to place. Dom, are you the same? I'm, I find for me, it's, it's down to like when I'm in the ideas stage, I absolutely love to be out and about like um, one of my best writing experiences. I was like visiting my brother in Switzerland uh, and I was just climbing mountains and on, on my phone um, in these incredible sort of landscapes, just sort of firing like, uh, you know, as I was sort of adventuring and exploring, just firing ideas across. So I, I find for that stage, it's really, really helpful. And same with like sitting in cafes and having like a really nice sort of, you know, atmosphere around. But I I used to do writing in cafes and kind of places like that, but I, I find now like too many people know you. They come up to you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but just but just I just can't concentrate. Um, I, I think it's because I'm I'm a desktop user, so like for for me to like really get stuck into it, I, I like a nice big screen and my music on and sort of sat in a, in a in a chair and like that that's my vibe for actually writing. But but I love to be out and about for the sort of ideas process. I think it has to be a certain place. Like coffee shops don't really work, um, but I find hotels you can disappear. This did come about through not being able to work at home, and then you know thinking, well, where can I just go? That's that's close by um that i can just sit and not be bothered for a few hours but again that's not been i've not been able to do that so i'm just um uh, in the vocal booth which has also been brilliant especially during the first lockdown because I've, i wrote a script during that period it's a an american road movie so it was lovely to escape completely into this other world and then come out of the vocal booth and there i there i am in the, in the flat <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's amazing. I, it is quite fast because I've got my uh, loft space here and I've got everything everywhere with notes up along the wall. And, you know, it's my little den, my space. So it is nice when you can get that. So as much as you're sharing the booth, at least when you're in it, it's yours for that time. Take it, Polly's your, your wife. Yes. Did you meet her making films? Is that how you guys met? No, nothing to do with meeting on set or anything. But um, it turns out, you know, she's an actress. I'm always gravitated toward actors and actresses throughout my life um, for some reason. Peter Ferdinando, who's the lead yeah, in, in Hyena and in Tony. Yeah, he's my cousin. So, um, you know, we're very close cousins, but he's the first actor I knew well enough to ask to be in a short I was doing, you know, years and years and years ago through that network of, of people that he knew. I, I knew a lot of great actors very early on. Yeah. Was it Mug? Was that the first one you did? No, there was a thing called Lone Man I did. And it was just me, Peter, and a camcorder. At the time, I was working in post-productions. My first um, experience of, of film and film sets was I was a runner on uh, commercials and music videos. Oh, okay. How did you even get into that? How did you even knock on the door? Originally, that was uh, my brother, um, who is the the. Your brother's the the. Oh, amazing. Great. I mean, the music for Muscle is incredible, which obviously the the did all. Your brother then did all. Amazing. He's done all my music for all my films. So um, I like to keep everything in the family. But I've been obsessed with films. And so it's always my passion at a very early age to want to direct. It took me a lot longer, a long, arduous journey to get there. But yeah, Tim Pope, um, very famous um, music video director, was doing a, I think it was a Renault commercial and said, you know, there's an opportunity to be a runner. So I did that and quickly got a little bit disillusioned because at that early stage, I, I was only interested in one job and that was to be around the director. It is like a, a salmon swimming upstream trying to trying to get like experience on set as a runner. Like everyone wants you not to be doing that. Like the ADs are weighing down you, the production manager, the producers. It's just the first AD you can't stand and the second AD <laughs> you quite like and they're the two people you see more than anyone else. And yes. it's yeah. like the director's someone you see like huddled over a monitor with, with a hat on and it's like, oh, uh, isn't it funny how directors wear hats a lot? I don't know about you. I wear. I've, a no, hat. I've not worn one. I've not. I've never. Have worn you not? You not done it yet? Uh, a trilby. A trilby. Yeah, full on. Every every job is important, but obviously, when you know what you want to do at that early stage, uh, you don't really want to be sidetracked into other departments. It's like, well, that's not that's not why I want to, you know, work all these hours to be a runner. I don't want to go and do anything else other than other than do what that man's doing over there and i know this maybe could work but maybe this is not the right way of, of doing it then i went off and went to work in post-production again i found a similar thing there where you know i was working in soho in post but i wasn't the, the post house was not churning out amazing stuff but what was inspiring about it was I was probably the only runner there that was actually interested in doing stuff after hours. So I would stay late after everyone had gone and use the editing facilities and sort of teach myself how to edit. See, you've got to do this type of thing, you're right. I, I saw that as, as my wage, you know, rather than the peanuts they were giving you. I saw it as an opportunity and I used it like my own little production house. Even now I bump into some of my old bosses and um, normally they're getting me cups of tea now, which is nice. But again, yeah, just using it to make uh, short films um, off my own back 
and I, I was, as I say, I was amazed because I thought I was going to, when I was working there, I would come across all these mini Tarantinos and I was the only one that was really interested. It fascinates me sometimes. Me and Don put stuff out all the time, sort of like, hey, do you want help or we'll do this? Or, And often people don't. And I imagine it's the same in a post house. People do their work and they go, okay, well, I want to be a filmmaker, but I don't know how to do it. Or, I'm, you know, when you went out of your way and those who do it, those who end up making indie films are the ones who are staying late, the ones who are, asking to borrow equipment are the ones who are pushing harder to get stuff done and seen if you don't do that why should anyone come to you just because you're, you're a runner somewhere someone's gonna go oh my god you'd make a great director and, and i and i think i think what you what you did was was very correct uh, i mean there's this kind of this un, unwritten rule of, of of film that says you have to sort of go and be a runner for so many years and then you've got to work up to you know the chance to assist and be head runner and then you've got to go into you know department as a trainee and i think i think that mold fits certain people and they've had success with it but i think for a lot of people because of the way that they are if they're very independent i know i felt like that the the best way to learn was by making use of you know the, the kit and the you know when i went to university i, I had cameras available all the time and th those kind of resources were the best way to learn by making stuff myself and that, that was what I was excited about was going out and, and making stuff and learning by those mistakes not sort of being a sort of a, a very small cog in a film where you're not really getting access to the, the you know the actual know-how yeah you know and I didn't go to film school but all of that experience you know being on those sets and, and different environments like the as I say the commercials the music videos and then and then in post-production seeing that end of it that was a little film school really Mm. Well, it's eye-opening. You get to see all the stuff that people don't normally see. You see all the mistakes. You see all the the, the stuff they're not going to use. And you go, why aren't they using that? And you can analyse that. And always be very nice to runners in post-production houses because they might do something to your food or tea. Good point. They might become the next you. Do you know what I mean? And and that's really interesting as well. Is you should always be nice to everyone who's helping you on your films. But it's true. These people do go on places, and some some someone else will become the next Tarantino. You know, it could be that one nugget of of wisdom or information that you pass down to a runner if you're if you are established on set that doesn't cost you anything that might just completely inspire them to go off and start doing something. Yeah, and you can see it. You can see that the people that you know are going to do that or are interested. You know, other people are just in it for a little while just to say that they work in telly or film or whatever you know and there's other people that and they're the ones yeah that you can kind of get them to i mean i still do i get you know if there's someone at somewhere like a post house or something if they come into the grade when after you know after their shift or come in you know help them out you know what mm -hmm. i mean i'll give them some encouragement it's yeah it's important that definitely is. So you made a couple of shorts. You made uh, Tony as a short before you made it as a feature film. Now, was was the always the idea to make it as a feature, or had you made it as a short just as a general one and then thought, let's expand it? Yeah, I mean, I, I made it just as a short, and then Paul Abbott, who created Shameless, had seen Mug previous to me um, shooting Tony and, and was a big supporter of Mug. I invited him along to the screening of tony we had a little screening in soho and the next day he invited me to his office he said look don't send this out anywhere i think i think this could work as a as a feature film i hadn't really thought of it as as anything longer than a than a short i mean the short is just a little blueprint of what we were able to achieve it was brilliant because i'd achieved the goal of just showing a short and, and from that to get a feature it was it took quite a while to get the funding but it costs absolutely nothing. I mean, we shot it for 40 grand, considering we shot it on film, 16 mil, and 11 days. And, 
yeah, it was amazing. It must have been so eye-opening for you to do that. Obviously, now you've got Paul Abbott. And then Peter, just so everyone knows, Peter Ferdinando uh, has been in all your shorts. And then, obviously, he was Tony uh, in the Tony feature. And it's just an incredible performance. Like you say, he lost the weight and went through that. Talk us through that feeling, then, of making a feature. Because a lot of people want to make features, but they, that whole experience of doing it. Can you remember now? It was 12 years ago. Can you remember how you felt? Yeah, it was like 2000, because we shot it in 2007, and then it took two years. Yeah, two years it got into Edinburgh. They released the BFI, or it was the film council then, released the funds for us to finish the film, because so, we didn't, we had it at a stage where it was a it was a cut, but until we could get into a festival, we couldn't actually complete it, do the grade or anything else. So that was amazing new, you know, when we got into that festival. That's also a great approach because I think when you're making films at that budget level, sometimes you don't, you just physically can't get all the money up front and you just have to commit to actually doing it. And then, you know, the rest sort of falls into place, you know, as it, as you go along. Yeah. I mean, we got it into a, a rough cut and then, um, you know, I think, I think we went to Sundance and they, and they passed and it felt right to uh, w- where it went in the end. And um, yeah. And what a splash it made, you know, in terms of you, like I said, can you touch on how it felt shooting it, what you went through, you know, your plans for it, because it is kind of documentary ish style in that how you kind of do a lot of your films uh, is that sort of uh, doco style. Had you did you plan that from the beginning is that kind of the feel and talk us through how it felt to actually be a feature film director but i remember being you know a little bit nervous of the fact that it was it was you know going to be a a feature film and suddenly there was going to be a lot more people on set than what i was used to it was normally about no more than say six people involved this was still very much gorilla i wasn't necessarily intimidated but i just treated it like it was a it was a bunch of shorts that i was just doing concurrently also, what I was doing, I was only showing the scenes to the actors involved. So it it felt the way Tony was made was very, was little vignettes of different characters interacting with Tony. There was an overall arc of the little boy gone missing, but almost it was a snapshot in the life, a day in the life of, of Tony around, you know, his estate. And for those who don't know, uh, Tony is a serial killer. Until we saw it in Edinburgh, nobody knew what the film was about. They only knew, they only saw their scenes. So they only saw their interaction with Tony and no one got to see uh, the script other than me and some of the producers. And Peter obviously saw it because he's, he's, you know, he he would have had to because he's in all the scenes. But yeah, so they came in and interacted and they weren't sure where where the film was going to go or or what was going to happen or anything else. The the lucky thing we had was David Higgs um, was my DOP. Now he'd just come from doing Rock and Roller with Guy Ritchie. So he'd had a... A good relationship with Fuji. Uh, so we managed to get a load of Fuji stock because he'd obviously just done this big Guy Ritchie film. So they were like, look, we want to do this mad little thing. It's in 11 days. And David has his own camera. But then I was worried that we only had a certain amount of stock. And I like to do very, very long takes. And again, every every film I've done, I have a, a very long workshop period where I re- record a lot of stuff and... So I, I just focused on doing a, um, uh, a very strong, long workshop period where we developed a lot of stuff. And then I was so economic with shooting it um, and we were so tight as a, as a unit, you know, with all the actors and everything, we knew exactly what we were doing, that we were quickly, you know, getting more film. I remember a point where I was more relaxed as we got into it. I think the first few days I was pretty terrified. Yeah, I hear so many of the, the top directors in the world just continually saying that even even now when they go on set and you know and top actors that they they still have those nerves 
and I, I think um, I, I think it's it's taking action that sort of gets you past that. It's when you have ideas of stuff to do and, and you sort of get amongst in in just doing it. Um, the more you do it, the the more you get absorbed in it, and then you know the nerves sort of disappear by that. It's the sort of indecision of it all that that creates anxiety, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't get nervous at all on a on a film set. I mean, it's just absolute adrenaline. It's just excitement. Yeah, well, you, I mean, take it you were fully prepared for for it. Yeah. So, and I remember like after day two or three, just like, oh, this is I love this, you know. And obviously, I'd done the shorts before, but this was a bit different. It was incredibly liberating and um, because I didn't know certain things, the choices I was making, I still look back at that film and look at it and go, wow, it works so well. Sometimes that's a good thing, I think, because when you know too much, it can... I hear this from a lot of experienced directors all the time. They say, oh, I wish I'd go back to my first film when I didn't know anything and I was just throwing shit at the wall and it was just fresh and exciting and new. And What, what, is, your, what is your process in terms of like how, how did the idea for this film and, and your sort of films in general, how, how do they come to you? Like, to, What made you think, I really want to make this? I remember that case. I remember him being arrested and as a kid. It just really stuck with me tony's very different to nilson he's not as he's not as sharp as it were i mean nilson was a was an ex-policeman and then yeah he's quite intelligent wasn't he tony's a little bit he's 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 fell through the cracks of society so i wanted tony to feel like he was you know given the chance given a little job he may not have murdered anyone you know but he's trying trying to get a little job he's trying to get off get off the dole and things are not working out and uh, there's hints in there of some child abuse and everything else that have made him the, that monster. So it was a combination of that Dennis Nielsen story that I was obsessed about and then turning that into wanting to do it about a, a forgotten guy on a, on a council estate. It, it was a little short and then it really developed as a feature. Mm. Did you worry about how you could develop a short into a feature? No, I knew I, I knew pretty early on that there was it, we could do it a lot better. Peter went on a very strict diet, and we had a great costume. Uh, Susie Harmon, great costume designer, and you know we could really push it and and pick the locations I wanted and all this stuff and make it something really special. And you did, and it's a really special movie. You know, it was a high praise across the board, really, for you as a debut movie. Like I say, it did make a big splash. What happened? after that because like I say it took two years to come out eventually it did um, and people were like this is great you were a voice to be reckoned with what happened after that moment I mean festivals you know so we did a lot you know festivals all over the world and through that offers what have you got next what do you want to do next and who are they from just so uh, uh, people know what could happen at a festival or... well, we met um, Stephen Woolley and his company um, Joe Laurie at, at number nine we met them at D Dinard um, Film Festival in France and they came to see um, Tony. I knew of Stephen and, you know, he was institution in um, British film. So we pitched him a little bit of what Hyena was in France. When I came back to London, we had a meeting in London and I pitched him my idea for a British bad lieutenant and he loved it. Yeah, and that was it. And then um, we started to develop that, which was a, a, a pitch from me. And then it became a treatment, like a 12-page treatment. And then that went on to be a script. But it took a long time because I did a hell of a lot of research for um, Hyena. But me and Peter went out with the, the police on drug raids and met up with a lot of corrupt police, a lot of traffic women. And all of that stuff went into the script. Right. And what were you doing during that time? Obviously, you were researching it. But for you, for work, for money, how were you surviving? Not much. Yeah, just like surviving, just trying to live frugally. So that you could make films. So you were like, I want to do something I can drop 
straight away so I can carry on making movies. Yeah, a lot of writing. I mean, I was writing every day. That's amazing. That's full on. That's commitment. Is that? That's literally, you know, right, I'm doing this. And you did that for how long? We were developing it for at least two and a half years. I, I think I think it's interesting as well that the, the development length, because I don't think that's something that you necessarily, as an outsider, when you're watching a film, you don't you don't see that development process in the script or the, or the research you know, you just sort of think, okay, well, you know, this is a, this is a director. They've just released a movie. You don't see all the the long work and and that kind of waiting that you have to do as a developer when you're really like set on on going into the details. Yeah, absolutely. And we had to, you know, there was moments you had to wait for certain actors' availability or or funding issues. You know, so there's all that stuff going on. If I was going to do, um, you know, a cop thriller and wanted to do that right, so it, it involved lots of research for me and the actors and also luckily enough i met a corrupt policeman who was also incredibly helpful wow obviously peter ferdinando again is your your lead but you've got stephen graham in there he's just 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 fantastic minor burring richard dormer you know these guys tony pitts these guys have all gone on they keep going they keep making movies i'm sure there's others in there as well i've i've not mentioned but it did get film four came on board what was the journey? You mentioned there about funding and how it fell through and there was problems. Can you talk us through a little bit about that? Unpack that for us. It didn't fall through on um, Hyena. It fell through on other projects. But film 4 and BFI were on from the very start. I think that festival, Film 4 saw it there. They came on board. Just just quickly, how, how do you navigate the process creatively of working with a funding body? Is it is it a... A mixed sort of bag did you find it positive or were there challenges there with like your vision hell of a lot of notes so yeah but you've got to be very prepared that's the process you know that's what being a director is isn't it you've got to remember that all of these people are in a position because they've earned their position so what they have to say is also can be very valid and good points you don't have all the answers even if i am the writer director i don't you know there's sometimes that notes come it's like oh i've never really thought of that that's good so i suppose it's been able to justify yourself if, if you don't agree with the notes and, and if you do agree with it being open to it. yeah absolutely yeah it's going to battle isn't it on every film it's going to battle it's always the least enjoyable part of the process is that little end bit with the notes coming in and you feel like you've done enough now and they're still like oh could you just have a look at that no <laughs> <laughs> i've looked at it too many times for god's sake you know at the start it, it's good because you get to a point where you really want notes and you're excited you know you're like I'm, I, I feel it's ready now there comes a point where it's just you're going a little bit around in circles with things and i think it's the same on every single film for everyone well yeah it's almost as well that that's almost looking for a no as well especially with sort of uh, investors and bigger you know studio movies they're looking for the no so when they're giving notes or whatever then you have to go back again and it's almost like oh it almost becomes difficult for them you have to make it easy right as well so it, it's not an issue they've got to read it all again or do it all again or dive into that again when they've got 10 other projects that day to look at it's a tricky old process um really but yeah is. if you've got a gut feeling you've got to stick with your gut feeling no matter what you know that's that's the key because you don't want to end up doing something that you regret because you will regret it they won't regret it they'd have moved on to seven other films but you'll regret it for the rest of your life you know so hence why i've only made three feature films it's, it's really nice to hear that though from, from from aspiring filmmakers because you know it can get frustrating when you're when you're developing something and, and you know you know, it's, it is something that takes time. After Hyena, I'm skipping forward a little bit here. I was offered a film in America. They'd lost a director. 
I liked the script. I was I was excited by the project. Went off to Puerto Rico to shoot it, fully cast, fully funded, or so we thought. And then two weeks before we were about to shoot, the funding fell through. It was a 15 million budget film, so 3 million was lost. Um, but we it meant that we had to shut up shop in Puerto Rico, get rid of everything, get rid of everyone, and just regroup and try and see if we could do it again and it didn't happen and i ended up leaving the project about a year later but as saying like two years of incredibly hard work i mean i'd done a draft of the script myself but also cast a great cast you know people like john leguizamo and peter green from pulp fiction and based on do you ever see cocaine cowboys no sounds like a great title (laughs) (laughs) it's a brilliant documentary you should check it out what scarface was based on the miami cocaine business in the late 70s early 80s and there was a woman called griselda blanco who was was like a kingpin there and so it was her story it was heartbreaking in a way because it was two years of me and my dop out in puerto rico we had all the shots worked out it was it was going to be a real um exciting project but there you go i think in in hindsight uh, i mean it's 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 a very hard pill to swallow and and i've had a couple of things before my my last feature that i thought were going to be the one to make and then something else comes along but in in hindsight i I think you you learn an incredible amount whether you shoot something or not from the development process um and and it, it may well be that even though you didn't shoot that film you learned some incredibly valuable lessons that you put into effect on made your next film better Absolutely. Yeah. No, none of it is wasted uh, time. It's just, you know, you've done the hard bit. At the time I was upset, but I'm actually glad now that I left the project. It's not been made, but um, wouldn't have been that right first US movie for me. There was areas of it that I'm now glad because I think it would have been a bit of a nightmare further down the line, but I got out just in the nick of time, really. Yeah. Did, did you find that after, you know, Tony and the success and then Hyena, that there was more of that knocking on the door? And obviously, like you say, you're out in Puerto Rico for that time. Was there others like that as well? I think because I got American reps after Tony, again, like from Slam Dance and stuff. So um, and, and after Hyena, I noticed the, the quality of scripts were getting better. It was mainly horror because people, if they say, if they see you've done one genre, it's like, ah, there's the horror guy. But um, I never really saw Tony as a horror anyway. Um even though hyena is is incredibly violent, it's commercial in a, in a way that's commercial to an American audience. It's 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 fundamentally a cop thriller. Yeah, I've got quite a lot of sort of scripts and stuff. And it's kind of important as as much what you turn down as what you take as your projects. I think the thing with me, I'm because I'm a writer director. It's 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 harder looking at stuff that I haven't written because I'm like well I. I could write something better than this, you know, and that's what I've that's what I've actually done during lockdown. I've actually written a fir- my first US uh, set script, and obviously I was not getting the stuff that cream of the crop are getting. I'm getting good stuff, but I'm getting stuff that I'm thinking, you know what, I can do better than this. Generics like the the real the real word that sums up, I, I think, what what can be the most disappointing thing when you're sort of looking at it as a director. It doesn't even have to be bad. It can just be very you know samey kind of stuff that you've seen before that's not fresh and then that's the kind of stuff that can be really disheartening to try and you know get your head around actually making yeah no it just wasn't happening so i thought lockdown is a perfect opportunity to just write something that i would want to not only see but but make that would excite me so that's why i did it as a you know an exercise because it's tricky writing for an american voice it took about a year um from beginning to end that's what i find a lot of the time i read stuff and it's like you know what i'm not 
as excited about this as I am my own stuff. And what's happening with that then? Let's say, like say now, it'd be really interesting to talk about. Not, not, you don't have to go into detail, but I mean, in terms of what do you do for you now as established director? What do you do with your script? The, the producers of uh, Muscle, Stigma and Hook, we had a great time and obviously it's been so well received that we were like, let's see what else we can do. So we've got a few different um, projects on the go. So the American set one, we're just at the moment, we've just got a casting director on board. So we're just, we're just kind of going out to salespeople and having conversations about cast and everything else. That's Obviously, this current situation is not ideal for... Um, everything everything's sort of slower at the moment isn't it well it's hard to get anyone on the phone this is because they're not in their offices we found that when we just cast uh the film recently which, which we shot in november december and we couldn't get you know people on the phone that was the hard you'd have to email them and then it'd be backlogged with their emails and you know like before you just ring up and you go hey so and so available for casting and now that doesn't happen and people are very scared of jumping on a film in case a tv show goes off and there's a lot more money in tv now for bigger names and it's 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 a problem for us indie filmmakers yeah it really yeah, is yeah no it definitely is it definitely is and let's talk about muscle then this is a film that is out uh, now it's fantastic uh it stars craig fairbrass and obviously um uh, peter ferdinando is in there as a small role as a cameo role but it's Cavan clerkin who's your lead who is just sensational uh and then you've got in there mark Stoll who's great Sinead Matthews who was in a film I produced called A Serial Killer's Guide to Life and she's fantastic Lorraine Burroughs and obviously your wife Polly Mabelie's in there as well there's loads of other brilliant cast in there I might not have mentioned but uh, yeah really fascinating what a story you know would you describe it for us and then we'll drop the trailer in a personal trainer that takes over somebody's life it was that little log line that um, I pitched to people years ago when I had that idea I was just obsessed with this personal trainer because it was about the time when the fitness industry has blown up in the last like 10-15 years and just a personal trainer that would take over somebody's life which he does he moves into his house and um, yeah completely suffocates him do you know what you've just won a free VIP day out with I us I really don't think that's for me well, I tell you what Sorry, look, listen I really don't want to take much bye, Alex, bye. No. not sure what I'm doing at the moment I'm not sure what's going on did you ever think you would end up like this? Jesus, it's action man. You gonna join in the gym? I've seen you there before, have I? Sorry. Simon. I can transform you like you can't believe. Let's do this too. Good. I like you, Simon. I really do. See, I'll get close to people. Squeeze. That's it. Really close to people and then they let me down. I don't like being let down. For a place to live for a few months. Come on, let's get big and let's get ripped. I've got some work if you want. What sort of work? Once you stop, you will never be able to start again.
it's it's really a, a really absorbing watch it really got me on edge i was like oh my god oh my god and it was it, you almost felt like it could happen to you and maybe that was the idea for you gerard that you felt because i did i was like oh god this i could easily get you know not easily go down the route he goes down totally but you could be persuaded to go oh yeah yeah why don't you do this muscle builder is good for you or buy this house or do this and he's just one of those people who just sort of he's you know the way he did it as well bullish real narcissism isn't it that that comes in and exploits someone that's sort of down on their luck uh and i think you know that the topic of gaslighting and, and you know manipulation it is very hot at the moment and it sort of came at a very good time this, yeah. this movie pressure cooker style that you that i felt this this gave across this wonderful like there's a there's a pot about to boil over and it just was a delight to watch let's talk about how how you you made it then obviously the idea came from there how did you go from heiner obviously you've been in puerto rico it fell apart that that movie you walked away from it and you've, other movies fell apart but you walked away from that one um and then muscle you're like okay no i'm going to go back to my roots yeah well i had actually written muscle and we were we were fully funded to do muscle before the godmother and the offer from godmother was just too big for me to pass up and then the people that we were going to do the film with were no longer the heads of those companies so in in the end we couldn't get funding in the uk and we had we got it from france french company called logical pictures wow how do you, do you mind unpacking that a little bit how did that happen because you know that's incredible it's set in newcastle there's a company called joker's uh, distribution company who distributed uh, hyena they also had muscle at a very early stage and they showed logical or spoke to logical about me so it just became them reading the script i think the interesting thing they weren't scared of black and white for one we were getting a lot of pressure from uk of like really black and white i like the idea of it being you know a totally french funded film but set in a gym in newcastle you know <laughs> something quite <laughs> lovely about it they loved it and um the second uh problem was was the change of shape for cav yeah, because at the start of the movie, he's supposed to be a bit of a, yeah, a podgy guy. And then suddenly, you know, you know, halfway through the movie or the third way through. Before and after he's, lockdown. Yeah, he's suddenly <laughs> a beast, you know. For me, it was um, always from the very beginning that I would have it in two blocks. I gathered and talking to the uh, personal trainer who came on board to train Serbo, who came on board to train Cav, uh, that we would need a minimum of three months. Uh, to get to change his body shape now cav had never done any training he, he'd kept fit by doing half marathons and, and running and stuff but he'd never been to the gym he'd never lifted a weight we didn't know obviously how his body was going to react to that and also we had to be really careful of injury so as much as we wanted him to bulk up we also wanted to be really careful that he didn't get an injury and then we'd do this three-month break and he'd come back looking exactly the same. As... Yeah, or worse, he couldn't actually get big. The opposite of Tom Hanks in Castaway. <laughs> and it would have been a disaster, you know. But it worked incredibly well. I was incredibly pleased and, and Serbo was a great trainer and, and Cav really, really works his socks off. And by the way, he's a, he loves the gym now. And, and what was lovely was for him as a actor but also for, for all of us was he really was out of place in a gym you know he didn't know how to work those machines three months of training with serbo when he came back he loved getting in that gym and the way he was moving around the weights he was like oh i want to try this one i want to try this you know because he he was into it he was totally into that lifestyle so, so when, when he when he actually first meets the trainer and he says like I, you know i haven't really been doing any training since i was in school there, there's a real real realism there that was his real uh, boys club that he said 
So you managed to get all your cast and crew to do, like, literally, oh, we're going to film for, I don't know, let's say two weeks here, then three months off. That was the hard bit. Especially for, like, Stuart uh, Bentley, the DOP. The DOP has done loads of big, you know, he's done Black Mirror and what else he's done. This is England 90, you know, big, big DPs. We're all passionate about it, so it's worth the commitment, you know, and it has to be worth the commitment for those for those two blocks. Did you have any concerns? Because uh, I've always wondered this with, with split shoots. Did you ever, ever have any concerns, like, in that middle period of, like, shit, what, what, what if the, one of the actors just bails out or... <laughs> gets long hair or just shaves the head or, yeah, gets fat, the opposite, yeah. Yeah, well, P- Peter um, was supposed to come back and do Ken again, um, but he got a big Netflix show in New Zealand. He was trying, you know, he was trying to fly back from New Zealand for this one scene. That's how committed he is. And actually, we got a guy from the gym... Uh, Paul, he's a real deal. He's he's a bounce, bouncer up there, and and but that was originally supposed to be Peter doing it, but um, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't do that to him. Yeah, it worked out well. Interesting story I heard about uh, Cav's audition because obviously you, you could have gone for a name here, right? I mean, you've got Craig Fairbrass in there, you could have, and I think it's really interesting that you chose Cav, and I, I've I've known Cav a, a while around on the circuits and stuff, and he's brilliant. But what was your what happened here in this this audition? We had a, we had a list of people, and I said, no, there's a name missing here. There's Kevin Ka- Clerkin is, is not on there, and they're like, oh yeah, 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 good actor on Hyena. I think uh, Des Hamilton was casting director on that. I think I think um, Cav Cav's name came up, but we were it was tough Hyena because we had so many great actors that that were very close to being in the film. But the trouble is, there was got to a point where there was so many going for those roles. I knew of him. He'd already gone into a sales office that week to prepare for the audition. I think Matt uh, Wilkinson, the producer, laughed a little bit at what. Um, Cav was doing and Cav was just like what are you laughing at and he flew across the the table <laughs> and attacked him yeah it was nice it was it was a nice way of showing those two different sides I just felt that he was right for that for that character and also Cab's really good at um, physical comedy that drama side we've not seen as much so we knew a lot of the same people even though we'd not met before we got very close uh, very quickly mm. how important is casting a movie like this because like say you normally work with peter every time and suddenly now you've got someone new how important would you say casting is it's the most important thing you know you have to have shorthand very quickly so you have to get to know the people that you're going to be working with very quickly um and that that comes with also the workshop period which is as i say it's like the bonding period for all of you to get to know one another to know your strengths your weaknesses everything else it has to be second nature when you're on the film set you know you do all that work if you do all that work ahead of being on shoot it's only going to benefit you know if you want to try stuff whatever there's nothing worse than not having that time to have those conversations where you've got actors on set who are just looking around saying what do you want me to do yeah well talk us through this workshop period then because we touched on it at the beginning but it'd be really nice for us to know what you do in this workshop period what's the process yeah i mean again it's like sometimes we won't even look at a script you know it's just about spending the time in a room with no distractions and just getting to know each other you know and as i say it's not just about running the scenes which we do as well and there could be a couple of days where you don't even think about the script so it's it's, it's very important is that part of your budget sorry uh, to interrupt is that part of your budget yeah 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 it has to be it has to be fit in it's it's part of it's it's how i work i think we all use methods that work for us every director works in a different way it's 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 finding your zone 
you know, as a director, you're so busy on set. So to have your actors be on exactly the same page and, and in some ways know even more about your characters than you do is so, so liberating. Obviously, you're still going to have those conversations. You're still going to talk about stuff. You're still going to have to do all that stuff that you would have had to do anyway. It's a total distilled vision that they're all, they all know exactly what you want to do. It really is. That time is so precious. How long do you do these workshops for? Once we get a date, then we'll just backtrack maybe two, three weeks or whatever. It's almost like read-throughs, but it's more than that. You're covering lots of stuff. I mean, it's not so important if you're in one scene and, you know, you're in for one day. Do you know what I mean? It's But it's the main... The main players need need that time and I need that time with them. I love it. I wish I could do that more on my films. I found it really difficult to get that rehearsal period. But when we have, it's made such a difference when we're on set for those scenes. It's ones you haven't rehearsed. You suddenly go, oh, God, some suddenly questions come flying. And there's nothing worse when you're on set and the camera team are waiting. What, it's not the right time to be doing this conversation, you know, about backstory or whatever. It's really now not important. You have to do it earlier. And I love that. And also it frees you up from trying stuff, experimenting with stuff you know that maybe you'd only get when you're in that environment when you're on that location you'd only get ideas when you're suddenly there you know yes and your films felt so free it really did feel like i say and we mentioned earlier about that doco style documentary style and it clearly wasn't but it you felt like the actors were so free and it, within there you know it never once felt like oh there's a camera you know, and this is the scene and we're switching around, you know. There's a fantastic scene before he goes to France where you're just spinning around him in this fantastic manner just to keep us disorientated. And it was just delightful. So it's like you really planned everything. It was really interesting. And and again, with that, like shots like that, you also played a lot with the shallow depth of field. You know, you're really in there and the monochrome look. Like I say, was, was that a constant that's what you wanted you, you yourself and your dp you, you've got that Stuart bentley you've got that from the off and this is what we're planning to do with this movie yeah loads of conversation again like the you know next to the actors the dop relationship is is vital you know that's that's your that's your bread and butter those two relationships are absolutely you know concrete and luckily like with ben kraken and Stuart bentley i've had you know two dops that i've really been totally in tune with which is important because you're going into war you go into battle you need your you need your troops and you need your friends around you yeah just doing as much research as possible and, and finding that palette and why why black and white then why this monochrome look i think i know the answer but i'd love to know from your side a little nod to the kitchen sink uh, British New Wave, which mm -hmm. I felt it had very much parallels to when writing the script. A call centre has taken over from the factory in, in England. Funnily enough, where we filmed it, and it was the Toffee Factory, which is obviously offices now. The difference between someone working on a factory floor to a call centre is is the fact that they can have a cappuccino. Having done that job, and, and that was based on my experiences, you take something and then make it your, your own. So I didn't want it to feel like a pastiche. I wanted it to just have that certain atmosphere that those films, you know, Taste of Honey, they had a certain feel to them um, that I wanted to tap into the atmosphere of it. Also, I'd been looking at a lot of um, boxing photography, a lot of gym photography, and it was all in black and white. And I, from a very early stage on recce's and stuff, I said, I just want to see everything in black and white. I just, it just felt more bold and things like the swingers scene you couldn't you couldn't really do that in color i mean yes there was a lot going on there there was a lot to see um talking of that how did you i mean i take it you use real swingers to do this and real people uh, like as in real people <laughs> of course real people um supposed to fake people yeah you know to this is there's some full-on sort of sex scenes here that are really you know and i suppose you want to do that so 
it was very real and very visceral for Cav's character as he was going through this horrible journey in this tunnel that he couldn't get himself out of. Yeah, and also um, there's quite a funny thing about France and, and you know, being funded by uh, French money. We had to do a cut version for France. They have a certificate problem in, in France. So Hyena was given an R, I think it's like an R17 or something, which which basically means it can only play in porn cinemas. Um, and same same was going to happen to Muscles. So I did an angel cut and a devil cut. So the devil cut, that's the UK release. It's the X-rated uncut version. But there's another cut version, which I did for France, which ended up playing at the London Film Festival. I'm thankful that um, this version is the one that's been released in the UK. That scene is nowhere near as powerful with the, with the other version. Uh, the BBFC wanted to cut uh, the rape scene from Hyena, so we had a... We had a bit of a battle getting that through, but that was obviously because it was in the context of it. It was very important, very important scene uh, to show the horror of um, rape in that film. Um, but this, yeah, it was absolutely no problem. How did you approach them? How did you find them? Is this casting director job? <laughs> it was a tough job, and uh, as a director, you have to take it on the chin. You know, have to, you have to, you have to do these things. From writing the script, I was very, very adamant of, of these party scenes needed to be done correctly. And, and I did the same with Hyena and Tony. Um, you know, the one thing I hate is, is watching films and, and not good party scenes or not good club scene. You know, it's, it's one of my pet hates that I see and I don't buy stuff. As luck would have it, there's a huge swingers club just outside of Newcastle. So I took my producers and the casting director and we went along to this uh, swingers club. We didn't, we didn't go in and just like stay in the corners. We said, look, we're making a film. It's not about swingers, but there is a scene, there's a couple of parties in there and we want to get them correct. And just looked around the club and see who was willing to talk to us and who was willing to, um, you know, come along and, and do it. And we got like a, a coach load of about 30 or 40 swingers. I ran a couple of parties on on a weekend um all day parties first party was just a house party so whoever enjoyed that one and was willing to take things further we kept them back for the next day for the for the hardcore party and then brought all the swingers in and they brought all their um buffet with them after about an hour they totally forgot we were there you know there was hours of pornographic material and it was tricky doing it in an edit suite as well because we had to tell all the people working in the edit suite look there's this we're not making this kind of film there was a certain point where i couldn't as a director i couldn't say okay right everyone now now start having sex the atmosphere was getting weirder and weirder and then suddenly one person started and then they all started and then people were getting involved that normally wouldn't have got involved which was which it was became very lord of the flies amazing well it looked incredible it really did it really was like whoa what is going on and, and the fact like i say you shot it in the day which i get because obviously the light helped and i think you did really well i think it's a stunning bit of cinema there's a point where one of the guys looks in the in the lens yes right? I, I kept that in deliberately well, he's, he's the big guy right he's massive as well he looks like he's part of the gym as well Steve, yeah he, and he looks Steve. in the lens and i just love that because mm. it's like you know, you've suddenly gone into a different world here. Yeah, and he does, from that moment, the character does go down into that world, and it's that moment. It had to feel totally out of his comfort zone, and what more than, you know, this house that he shared with Sarah, they, they were hoping to maybe have a family there. 
what's the worst thing that you'd like to happen in your house is probably a swingers party isn't it i mean there's not much else apart from someone getting maybe chopped up it's, it's a horrible thing to happen in a, in a house sticky sticky floors and sofas and wow yeah no absolutely and and really work for the film and i think you know and and let's do, i suppose let's talk about that black and white element then in terms of how you lit that because it it's really it's harder to light a black and white film than it is a color film it just is you've really got to push colors and uh, push colors you've always got to push the light in the right way did you work harder on that did you really take time brian the grader he made a palette of everything uh, even for the grade so even ahead of time we had the um, costume designer the art director the production designer everyone was working on designing it uh, for black and white it does shoot in color we didn't have the monochrome so we, sh we shot in the, the alexa i mean i've seen glimpses of a color version when it's come up by accident because i didn't want to see any color on the monitors when we were shooting i think in the grade i managed uh, a little image came out was like oh get it off it's awful yeah so it was all designed to, to punch and and work really well yeah because you still have to actually design the colors so that they will be there you, you know you're not, you're not just kind of having black and white walls you it has to be very well designed yeah. everything all the the way that you know the their tops in the gym work the way their jewelry works everything amazing um tell us if you can a little bit of advice on what you've learned over this time of making films for someone who's you know a really hungry up and coming filmmaker maybe just coming out of film school or someone who's in the business now what kind of advice would you give someone like that I think the thing is, I think people forget what a long process it is. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but it's a vet, but you've got to be prepared for those long periods of, of waiting for development of, of the writing process. It's not um, a sprint, is it? It's a marathon. If I'd have known now, I don't know, maybe would have done things slightly different. I don't know. I know I wouldn't want to be at the beginning again. If I'd have known how long it was going to take that's difficult especially like years you've lost on projects that, that haven't gone anywhere and yeah you as you said before yeah you do you gain stuff but as i'm getting older i'm getting more prolific or writing a lot more got a lot more ideas i was very much singular on just one idea at a time now i've got um half a dozen ideas so even though it's it's a long journey time suddenly time does go amazing well listen this has been absolutely fantastic Gerard johnson thank you so much for your time honestly and um, what a great interview as well really cool thank you so thanks much. guys thanks very much good to talk to you very good muscle is out now everyone do go watch it and obviously you can watch tony and hyena as well jared's uh, films before this but muscle is really worth checking out it really is a brilliant brilliant film and it's out now and it's perfect for the indie filmmakers out there in you who want to know how to make a film like this and you should be inspired absolutely um where can people follow you have you have you got have you got anything online where people can find you and say hello and thank you twitter i use johnson gerard cool go follow him there everyone you can follow me at giles alderson dom uh, direct Dom Lenoir or Dom Lenoir depending on what platform you're on there you go and you can follow us at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter and we are on the Instagram now the Filmmakers Podcast and if you do want to come on the show or you've got a question you want to ask us then contact us at uh, the Filmmakers Podcast at gmail.com and remember you can go out there and make your indie film you can make it happen just as Gerard has done and remember if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it is your duty to send the elevator back down muscle is out now go watch it we will see you all next Tuesday Gerard thank you very much thanks guys thank you cheers Dom thank you bye bye everyone cheers everyone have a great week go make your film do something to make your film happen do it do it do it see you next week everyone bye <laughs>